While teaching a semester course on ancient church history, one of the attendees during a break approached me to speak with me. And sensing it was a kind of a private matter, I suggested we move into a corner of the room. And once there, he asked, Father, why is it that when I go to confession, it feels good, but sometimes it feels bad? It even hurts. You ever had that experience? I know I have. And the answer is, it feels good because we allowed ourselves to be embraced by divine love. And it hurts because, well, we allowed ourselves to be embraced by divine love. Divine love has pierced our souls, our minds, our hearts, calling us to repentance, which fundamentally means saying no to our sins. And that is one of the most painful things we can do. Now, why is this painful? Simple. We love our sins. We enjoy them. No one woke up this morning and said, Oh, gosh, I haven't gossiped for a week. I better get to it. Not one of us woke up this morning and said, Well, uh, uh, it, yeah, it's been a long time since I snapped at the kids. By God, I'm going to do it this morning. Not one of us woke up this morning and said, Oh, I haven't embezzled any money from my employer. Oh, I better put that on my to-do list. And we go on and on and on. We commit such sins because in a perverse way, they give us pleasure. A sick kind of pleasure, to be sure. A pleasure followed by pain, humiliation, hopefully remorse, but pleasure nonetheless. And let's be brutally honest with one another. Every one of us is predestined by our fallen nature to be a pleasure addict. So when we experience discomfort during or after confession, it is nothing other than experiencing the reality that we have just accepted the graces to make a choice to say goodbye to our sins, that we are making the choice to use God's graces to give us the power not to allow them to control our lives. Repentance means allowing God to make us whole, complete, fruitful. And this means we have chosen the uphill climb to, in essence, sober up. And that means we are in a battle. It is this sobering up that is painful. Perhaps this is what St. Augustine experienced when he wrote in his book, The Confessions, Oh, Master, make me chaste and celibate, but not yet. He knew the price of repentance. Now, some people don't want to sober up. We see this in our first reading from the prophet Amos. The prophet was confronted by an angry priest of the king's sanctuary in Bethel in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, 
Why was the priest so angry? Well, Amos was from the southern kingdom of Judah, and the priest was in the northern kingdom of Israel, which had control over Judah and demanded that all Judeans, even the poor, had to pay taxes to the king of Israel three times a year to cover the Israelite king's administrative costs. Add to that pain the fact that the king of Judah also demanded that his subjects pay him taxes. The situation was oppressive. It was ripe with abuse, especially of the poor and the helpless. So Amos unhesitatingly cried out against all these injustices, so much so that he declared in his prophecies that God would restore justice by having the northern kingdom of Israel destroyed by a pagan nation if they do not repent. And he delivered those prophecies while in the northern kingdom. The clergy and all the nobility of Israel detested Amos and wouldn't even consider repenting. Why should we repent? We're the powerhouse of our day. We are the economic powerhouse. We call all the shots. I don't need anything to repent of. Well, the prophecy came true, and Israel was destroyed by a pagan power. Addiction to the sick pleasures of sin always ends in disaster for individuals and even nations. When angrily confronted by the priest, Amos stood his ground and said that he did not come from a company of prophets. He wasn't a professional prophet. Instead, he was a man of the land, a shepherd, and a dresser of sycamore trees when God called him to the prophetic ministry. Now, those were good careers to prepare Amos to be a prophet. A shepherd has to know how to read his flock, when to let them rest, when to push them, when to follow them instead of leading them, and when to force them to go somewhere they do not know because they will be safer there. Likewise, a dresser of sycamore trees had a unique skill. The sycamore tree, it's also known as the mulberry fig tree, produced a fruit that was barely palatable. The dresser of the sycamore had to discern, read the signs for the precise moment when he would climb into the sycamore tree and with a very thin rod brass, he would pierce each individual fruit, which would make it expand and ripen and make it edible. Amos's careers taught him that is that it is the timing of when to speak God's word, the timing of when to pierce the human heart immersed in sin that was most important, how people wish to respond, well, that's their responsibility. And the gospel tells us that Jesus sent out the 12, two by two, giving them his authority, revealing a critical point, no one in the church, no one acts on his or her own authority. Whatever good one is able to accomplish, it begins and it ends with Christ. And this is true from Pope to beggar. 
The 12 went off, endowed with the authority of the Son of God, but notice the hierarchy of their duties. The first thing they had to do was what? All those who heard the gospel, please raise your hand. Preach what? Repentance. That was their first task. Preach repentance. Why? Only after there was repentance in which one is restored to a right relationship with God, when one allows oneself to be pierced by divine love, to be expanded by God's grace, to be made fruitful, can one make the painful choice to stop making excuses for one's sins, reject the sick pleasure they offer, and sober up. Then, the other gifts could be manifested in their lives. And what was true 2,000 years ago remains true now, and it will remain true until the Lord comes. May it be today.